Good morning, everybody. Oh, man. Worship was just so good today. I really needed that. So thank you, worship team, so much for leading us in that and for ushering in the Holy Spirit in the way that you did. Man, that was, it was funny. On Thursday night at Life Group, I was telling Jonathan, why, why, why? Every time that I teach, do we sing 10,000 Reasons? Because I can't stand that song. I, I was part of a camp, and that was the theme, and it was just, it was too much, and if I never heard it again, it would have been too soon. He goes, well, I've got Ted leading it, and I'm like, man, I'm so excited to hear Ted lead, but why that song? And then I walked in this morning, and they were rehearsing, and it reignited my love of that song. So thank you, Ted, for the courage and bravery to lead that and lead it so well. Um, man, God's just, God's really good, and he's moving today. So as Darlene said, I'm Merrick, and as she also said, uh, there are some new faces here. Um, and I was on a sabbatical this summer for a little bit, and then I've been gone for a couple of weeks, once with a sick kiddo, and then one... Then last week, um, the Just Between Friends sale at the State Fairgrounds, I'm part of the staff for that. So if you're on the newer side here, you might not know me yet. Uh, so hi. Um, I'm going to go ahead and um, open with some prayer because there's never not a good time for that. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the opportunity and the ability to be here, both in person and online. We thank you for every single person here we ask you to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what you have for us, Lord. Father, let only your words come out of my lips. And if there's something uh, that is not for someone here, let it roll off of them, Lord. Let there be no shame, no guilt, no condemnation. Just only love, instruction, and your truth. In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're continuing with our series in the book of Acts. It's been a long journey, hasn't it? But gosh, we've learned a lot about what the early church was like, and we're not done. But if you're like me and you like to switch it up from time to time, don't worry. We only have a few weeks left until we jump into Advent for a little break. So last week, Jonathan's message was a long sermon. Not that he spoke for a long time, but that was the title of his message. This week's title is, We're All Preaching. So we're in Acts 20, 17 through 38. I'm going to go ahead and read it. And it is, it's a lot, guys. So just buckle up, hang on, and we're going for this ride. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the leaders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. 
but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If I only may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among who I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you inheritance among all who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus and how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. <sighs> the word of the Lord. So let's give a touch of background here. Jonathan is great at this, and I'm getting better as I learn more. We're picking up again with Paul following him along his third missionary journey. He's been on this tour, so to speak, evangelizing in different churches for several years. But now it's time for him to head back toward Jerusalem because he's got a meeting ahead of him there at the temple and then toward his home in the congregation of Antioch. And he has with him this great group of friends from several different churches who are traveling on this journey. He's going down the coast from Troas, where we learned last week about Eutychus falling asleep in church and dying, and then coming back. Um, uh, thank God for good ventilation, B vitamins, and our coffee cart in the back. <laughs> and Paul, with the assistance of the Holy Spirit, prayed him back to life, but now he's making his way down south, past Ephesus, and then to Miletus, not Miley Cyrus, Miletus. <laughs> Got, yeah. I hear my people. Now, his whole point here was to speak to the church leaders of Ephesus. And he sailed past Ephesus. Yes, yes he did. And he expected them to walk the 30 or so miles to meet with them. That is a day's journey. Maybe longer if you're me. Um, so these leaders were committed, and I thought that driving up to Everett every day for three days of our Foursquare Leader Conference last month was commitment, and sometimes the traffic was, 
I also learned that there are toll lanes that it doesn't matter if you have an extra person in your car. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, these leaders and these elders had such a great love for Paul and for the calling of their life that they were willing to travel as far as they needed to to hear him. And that's not super surprising. They've been part of this incredible ministry for the past two years. They'd seen conversions and miracles and blessings on blessings. And if you've ever been part of ministry or deeply connected to a church for a longer length of time, you know that there are some seasons that are like that. Seasons uh, that you can just see God's hand moving and you're inspired all the time just to keep going and keep pushing and keep telling people about Jesus. And then there's times where you put your head down and you are plowing the proverbial fields for what seems like the most meager harvest. It's small and it's hard and it's difficult, but you just keep going. They were in the season where they couldn't wait to see what God was going to do next because they'd seen blessings raining down like, well, rain. And that gave them this kind of bond that when Paul says, hey guys, I'm not gonna stop in Ephesus, probably because he, would, he knew that it would take a really, really long time um, and it would turn into another long service. Because you know how hard it is when, when you're with people that you really, really love, family or friends that you haven't seen in a long time. It's just really hard to leave them. So I think that's why he didn't stop at Ephesus, because he knew he had this message that he needed to get to the leaders. So you just call them to come down to Miletus. Hey, we're going to chat. And they're all for it. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. When he says Asia here, he's not talking about uh, like the Asia, the continent that we think of. This is modern day Turkey. It's the Roman province of Asia. So he goes on, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And I did not shrink back in declaring anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house because all the churches met in houses because they weren't allowed to have churches like this. Um, testifying to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm not sure if I would call this a sermon class, he's talking to a group of church leaders. And as he does it, the heart of Paul the pastor is revealed. So maybe it's more like an ancient TED talk. Most accounts of Paul teaching through Luke, um, teaching through Acts, Luke writes about um, Paul is being very evangelistic. He's being pastoral in this one though. Um, these people already followed the Lord. They were already leading others in that way as well. A leader speaking to leaguers, trying to impart his heart to them. Spoiler alert, knowing it would be his last time with them. So Paul starts his TED Talk by speaking of the example of his own life. Not saying that he is the example they should follow or model their life after. Rather, he wanted them to look at him as an example of someone who follows Christ. Paul wasn't acting like a religious celebrity, expecting people to serve and honor him. No, he was serving the Lord with all humility. 
He will get to talking to them about his preaching and his message soon, but what he started with was teaching them about his life and that his life preached the gospel. It's vitally important for someone who stands in front of a body of believers or seekers or doubters, <laughs> anyone who stands in front of a church and teaches for their life to be an example. If you see me or Jonathan or Darlene or Harley or Corey, if you see any of us here or at Costco, we should be the same people. Whether we are preaching a message to a church this size or one-on-one -on -one somewhere or a message to thousands of people, the message should be the truth of the gospel. But it also should be apparent in our daily lives that we are someone whose life has been touched and redeemed by Christ. There's something to the integrity and the power uh, of that that God uses, and it's an extension of the power of the gospel. But even though this message Paul is giving is to leaders and elders, this rings true for every single one of us. Jonathan has said this before several times, and I completely agree with it. It is not our job as pastors to do the ministry. It's our job to equip all of you to do your ministry. If we're walking around, and now I'm talking to all of us, not just pastors. If we're walking around and people know we are followers of Christ, but there is no evidence of that in our lives, being different than we were before we started following him, why in the world would anyone want to follow him? Or listen to what we have to say about him or life with him. And even if you're a new Christian, you have this responsibility too. You have the responsibility of showing people what a young Christian's life is to be like. Our lives are an example to other people of the transforming power of Jesus. So for the sake of the rest of this message, and hopefully by the end of it, your perspective will start to shift in this direction. You are all leaders. Put yourself in the shoes of the elders of this story. Now, as I was doing research for this sermon, one pastor I listened to posed a question that I would like to pose to you all as well. What if the whole church, the capital C church, or even just this church, had the same commitment to the church that you do? What if the entire body of Christ was as generous or not so generous as you are? What if the entire church supported and prayed for missionaries like you do? Or pursued biblical understanding and knowledge like you? How would the whole church look? Some of you might think, church would be okay. Some of us might be thinking, ooh, church is going to be shutting down all through the city. Thankfully, it is not up to just one of us, but all of us as a whole. Individuals all working together. So that's great encouragement to me. As I look out today, I see some fantastic examples of transformed lives. And I encourage us all to keep pressing on, keep getting better, learning more, transforming not into what God has laid before us to do, 
but who he created us to be. And then ministry will flow out of that, just like Paul. What a great thing when you're sharing Christ with your neighbors or family members or coworkers to not boasting out of boasting or arrogance, but out of a true heart of repentance and thankfulness, be able to say, hey, you more than anyone knows who I was before. God can do that through you as well. That example is going to go a whole lot further than anything that I could say up here. So in verse 20, he goes on to talk about what he had been teaching. I kept back nothing that was helpful. I did not shrink back from teaching what was profitable. He wasn't just teaching the good stuff. The popular messages are what he wanted to teach. Oh man, that would have been easy. I'd love that gig. Just teaching from my favorite books out of the Bible. Y'all would get pretty sick of Philippians. And you'd never hear anything from James or Numbers. I could talk about all the topics I'm passionate about, persevering through a season of waiting, how faithful God is through times of grief. I would beat the drum of the biblical basis for women in ministry leadership. I would talk about how to, how important it is in encouraging you all to work through trauma and anger and bitterness to walk into the fullness of what God has for you. I would pick verses and passages that back that up and I promise that if we ever do have a topical sermon series again, I will not take those verses out of context. Just right here, promising that now. And I have no doubt that something like that would be memorable and somewhat beneficial for all, if not mo most, if not all of us. But only preaching those things is cherry picking. And that would be doing you a disservice. And I would have to answer for that when I stand before God at the end of my life. And that's not something, that's not an answer I want to have to give. It's our job as pastors and teachers to, prevent, to present the full truth of God. There are challenging and convicting topics that are not fun to teach on or learn about. But guess what? We don't get to choose which parts of the Bible are relevant and necessary because they all are even the hard parts that we wrestle with as believers and leaders. So we need to be acquainted with the whole Bible. When I was 16, I was dating a boy who I thought was perfect, as we do. He kind of looked like Prince Eric from The Little Mermaid, and I'm just saying, he had graduated uh, the year before, so he graduated at the end of my freshman year, so he was older. And he had been the lead in just about every musical and play we did. He got solos in choir. I mean, his uncle was a Christian recording artist, and he followed Jesus. And like I said before, he was really cute. He was my 16-year-old dream and I let him speak into my life. And while he was a Jesus follower, he had a little bit different theology than what I'd been raised with. Definitely different from what I do now. Um, he was a Messianic Jew. Believing in Jesus, but still following the laws of the Old Testament. So for months, I adopted a kosher diet. 
and made some lifestyle changes. No pork products, no mixing animal products. And that no pork products, that's not just bacon and pork chops and all the ham and delightful things. That is also no jello and no marshmallows. And if you know my candy propensities, that's a big one for me, the marshmallows. No peeps, no peeps, guys. But the reason that all of this happened was because I was trusting that what he was telling me about the word was true. I didn't even know to lean on the Holy Spirit at that time. We have to know when something that someone is telling us is off the mark for us in our walk. Okay. Sorry, I was just thinking about peeps again. Um, so... Not only do we need to be acquainted with the full Bible, but we get to teach it to everyone. We get to talk about the gospel to everyone. Paul talks about the Jews and the Greeks alike. That means these two extremely separate groups of people who had different backgrounds and different beliefs. They were coming from totally different places. He taught it to everyone. The gospel is for our best friends and our loved ones, but it's also for the people we can't stand. The people who stole our sandwich boards off our property early this year. The gospel's for him. It's for the people that we don't agree with politically, socially, or morally. The gospel is for everyone. Paul goes on. And now I'm bound by the spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. That sounds dramatic because it was. He's bound to what the Holy Spirit was calling him to. And he didn't know what was ahead of him other than he had a good reason to believe that being imprisoned in trials were good bets. He was saying that knowing great trials and imprisonment were ahead of him already. He knew trouble was waiting. He didn't know what it was going to be, though. And for those who have already read ahead the book of Acts, you know. But I, I won't spoil that. We're getting, the, we're getting there. We'll just let you sit in that anticipation. Or, or you could read ahead. It's not a secret. Um, so let's look at verse 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Another translation adds to the beginning of that, none of that moves me. None of the warnings from the Holy Spirit, none of the foreboding of the PTSD that could have sunk into Paul from the past two years of ministry, none of that could move him off of where the Spirit was calling him to go. That is powerful. That's the transformative power of a life lived for and with Christ. But I also want to point out something that may be easy to gloss over. I used it for the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. It is so easy for us in our human nature to see someone else doing work assigned to them by Christ and think, man, that's where I need to be. 
That's what I need to be doing. That's where I need to go. But fam, that is what is assigned to them. There have been several documentaries and podcasts in the past few years about leaders of churches who have veered off course from what the Spirit laid before them when they were called. Even if you're just one degree off course, that's just this far. Over a couple years' time, you're in a completely different spot than where you were aiming to begin with. Where you are with the Lord is exactly where Jesus is going to meet you. And he's not going to leave you there. But your journey is your own, just like my journey is mine. Now, I would love to have platforms like some of my favorite pastors and some of my friends. They get to travel and speak to different groups of people all the time. But that's not what's been given to me. And you know what? I thank God for that. Sure, some of that may be something I get to do in the future, maybe. But I have this place and my family to lead right here for such a time as this. And what an honor and responsibility that is. We all have to lead our own lives and our own families in the unique and beautiful ways that God entrusted to each one of us. Maybe there's another job that really looks good to you. Maybe if you're single, you see married people and think, oh, that must be fantastic. Or you want children and don't have them right now. Or you want a bigger house or different clothes or a shinier car. We have to stop comparing what we have been entrusted with to what others have been entrusted with. Just because it doesn't look like you want it to, based on the lens of what, who and what you see around you, it doesn't mean it's not what God wants or where he needs you. Okay, back to Paul, who is knowingly going into the unknown. Any parents or caretakers out there have a certain song from Frozen 2 pop up right now? It's a great one. I won't do that to you, because it's been in my head for three days since I wrote this. So I'm not one who loves uncertainty. I don't love to go into the unknown. I am not Elsa. The cold does bother me. Not a huge fan of walking into situations where I'm not prepared. Being married to a first responder has challenged this. Being a parent has definitely challenged this. And being a pastor has also challenged this. Think God's trying to tell me something there? Do we see a theme in the three most important things in my life? The unknown is just our reality. I think we can all use this lesson from Paul today. And the Holy Spirit may be tugging on someone right now to let him work in us to trust him with our future. The 10 years we spent waiting for our son and his dramatic entry into the world would have been a little easier to bear if we knew exactly which road we were going to go down. But we would have missed out on blessings along the way and the opportunity to lean into a faithful father who provides and does miracles. 
Likewise, the years I spent as a single woman waiting for my husband could have been filled with a lot less heartbreak if I had just done what God clearly lays out in the Bible and trusted him instead of doing what the world was telling me and what I was seeing around me. Lesson learned. And it's a lesson that some of us need to be reminded of, sometimes over and over again. Our propensity for not trusting the Lord with our future is why fortune tellers and psychics and astrology and the like can be so appealing. We can trust God with anything, but not the uncertainty. If I just have a tidbit of what's going to happen, where we're going to go next, if XYZ is going to happen, I can walk down this road easier if I just have a little something, a little nugget to hold on to. I read a study that showed that 90% of Americans know their star signs. More than 50% of them read their horoscopes and also believe in the advice given in the descriptions. Now, I was raised by a mom who every day would look at her horoscope at the newspaper. For those young people in here, we used to have this thing delivered to our house every day, and it had information in it. It was like the internet, but it was on paper, and there was no Google. So you just had whatever was on the page. Okay. But every day, the horoscopes were printed. And because that's, it is, so she would look at that to see how her day was going to go. And because that's what I was raised around, I read them too. Love is in the air. Ooh, anger surrounds you. You have untapped potential. Opportunity is knocking. Stay away from this type of birthday today. Those generalized statements, they may be true for some of us or all of us at some point in time, but that's because they're just generalized statements. It's like a fortune cookie. It, it's not going to determine anything. It's a treat with paper inside. Um, and they're not gluten-free. <laughs> but thinking back on that now, it just seems absolutely silly to me to think that my day was going to go pretty much the same as anyone who had a birthday about eight weeks around mine. God's will for you is so much more unique and specific than that, friends. And I'm not even going to get into psychic readings and tarot cards and the like, other than to say that as Christians, we are not to run so far away from trusting the Almighty with our future and following him that we turn to literal witchcraft for answers, because that's what it is. No guilt, no shame, just truth. So I decided this past spring that I wanted to be fully in line with God's will for my life. And there was something in my life that I have this gut feeling about. It's very deep. It's something that I get asked about a lot, and it's a little tender in my life. And this something is not bad. It definitely is not against the word of God. But I wasn't sure if it was the will for my life. I'd been praying about it, but I decided to get intentional with the words of my prayer. I didn't want to spend time praying and dwelling on this if it's not something that God has for me in my future, if it's not something that's in front of me. If I'm spending head and heart space on this thing, is this going to take me off my assignment? Or even take me away from my assignment? If that's the case, I don't want it. 
especially when I could be spending my energy praying about things that are ahead of me. So here's what I prayed. In this area of my life, Lord, do I lean into hope or closure? And boy, did he answer it, and fast, from someone who didn't know I was praying about it, which that's the way God does big things for me. Big answers for me come from other people because he knows I don't trust this, and we shouldn't. I trust him, not, not this, because this is, I've got a big imagination. I'm a dreamer. But he literally answered it the next day. So I challenge you, think about what you are praying about and for. What are you spending your time on? Is it taking you off your assignment? Do you know what your assignment is? Ask him. He will tell you. He always listens. He always answers. We just need to be ready for the answer and whether we're going to mourn or celebrate that answer because if he had said closure, I was prepared to spend a little bit of time in some grief over that. But he said hope. So I'm leaning into that. But we need to be ready to mourn or celebrate and be ready to roll with him like Paul because Paul was ready to roll with the spirit. He wasn't going to be moved or shaken even though he was filled with uncertainty, he knew that Jesus would be with him. There's a Christian cliche that I'm going to use. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. <laughs> There's a lot of truth in that cliche because he does hold it. After all of the traumatic things that Corey and I have faced over the last 13 years, when listed out, they shock even me. But when people hear it, they say, how, how did you even make it through all of that? Honestly, we knew that Jesus was with us. Whatever you're walking into, through, or out of, he's with you. I saw a, um, a little picture on Instagram this week, and I should have saved it and put it up there, but I didn't. And it was this picture of a woman just crouched down with rain all around her, and Jesus just holding her. And it said, sometimes Jesus calms the storm. Sometimes he calms his child. And I think we need to be ready for either. We always want Jesus to calm our storm, but sometimes he just calms us in the midst of the storm. And that's okay too. None of us know what tomorrow brings, but sometimes, like Paul, we get words of knowledge or prophecy as a warning. Just We are a Pentecostal church, by the way. We believe in words of knowledge. Um, and, and, and the warnings that we get, those aren't the fun ones. Those aren't the, oh, you're going to get this blessing. It's, oh, things are, things are coming. Get ready. And they're not fun, but they're important. Sometimes they come as a warning, a, you shall not pass. Don't do it. Other times they come as a warning of, get your big kid drawers on, because we're going to go through some stuff. And with those, we have a choice. We can run or hide in fear, or we can say, I lay my life down for the gospel of the grace of God. And Paul says, my life means nothing, but what does mean something is finishing what God has before me and telling people about the grace of God. The work of God in your life is telling people about the grace of God. 
the wonderful love of God. It may not be smooth, flat track to run. There may be hurdles and obstacles, but it's your race and God is going to get you over those obstacles and through the sand pits and the mud holes. That made me think of the story of Job. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. I know that is not on track with my love of Philippians. But if you're familiar, Job was faithfully serving God, so faithfully, in fact, that Satan himself made a deal with God to tempt him to see if misfortune after misfortune after tragedy after heartbreak would move him away from God. And spoiler alert, again, nothing did. Job didn't go all through, through all of those losses um, and what I would imagine would feel like literal hell on earth with a smile on his face, counting it all joy in the way that we kind of as Christians imagine, like, oh, I just counted all joy. No, he did it clinging on to God. His attitude was, even though I'm getting, oh, he, his attitude wasn't, as long as I get the candy that I want in my trunk or treat bucket, I'll follow God. It was, even though I'm getting a toothbrush, a walnut, and a handful of pennies, that's not what's good. God is. See, I trick-or-treated in the early 90s. Um, those, those handfuls of pennies, I mean, if there would have been like three or four houses, maybe it would have added up to something. But anyway, then it just made your candy taste weird. The past three years that we've all lived through have been especially filled with trials for every single person in this room and for everyone watching online. I'm proud of each one of you for being here or tuning in today. It takes commitment to keep the faith when things get hard. And I pray we all continue to do that because we know the end of the book. Things are gonna get harder. Sorry, I probably should have prefaced that with another spoiler alert. But God is always faithful in the midst of trials. He is always here. And if, we are pl if we've placed our faith and our trust in him and called upon him as our savior, we have the guarantee of eternal life with him and his love, peace, and comfort while we're here. Just like we sang in worship, he's Emmanuel, God with us. Where there was fear, he brought courage. Death, he brought life. Nothing can come against, no one can stand between us. It doesn't mean that life is going to be easy and we're going to have finances abundant. It means that we will have all we need in the knowledge and security of our salvation and who's on our team. The same attitude God worked in Paul, he can work in us. So here's Paul looking forward toward his death. Not looking forward to it, but looking forward toward it. He knew it was looming. All of the prophecy and the prayers and the things that the Spirit had been warning him about God was preparing him for what was ahead. He'd had time to wrestle with it, and I'm sure he had his moments of, isn't there another way? Because even Jesus had that moment. But eventually, and with the peace of the Spirit, and his heart being so in tune with God, he knew that he was serving a gospel worth dying for. He wasn't preaching a gospel of being moral. Being moral is a good thing, but is it worth dying for? What about preaching about being able to save yourself through good works or deeds? Being nice and paying it forward. Yeah, that's great. Our faith should move us to do those things, but that's not what saves us and it's not worth dying for. What about preaching about social action and improvement? Again, not bad. We want to see improvement in our society, but is that what you want to lay your life down for? Is religious tradition or mystical things, are those worth dying for? No. There have been a lot of people who've done a lot of things to see a, 
Taylor Swift concert recently. She's a talented songwriter and performer, yes. But is her music worth dying for? No, and frankly, neither is a concert. I'm not a Swifty, so I'm gonna turn this on myself. Everyone is, who's been here for more than two weeks knows that I love me some Disney. In fact, on Wednesday, I turned to Corey and I said, hey, we've got about 85 things to do tomorrow. Uh, do you just wanna go to Animal Kingdom instead? Now, Animal Kingdom is in Florida, um, so that was not a real possibility. And our responsibilities on Thursday were important. Um, I just really wanted a relaxing day to go watch Festival of the Lion King, um, ride on safari, maybe end the day at Magic Kingdom watching the fireworks. Hot cocoa, gluten-free treat. That's my happy place. But would I die for that joyful little mouse? That's a hard no. Being part of a church that's cool and has five services on the weekend and all the flashy lights. The gospel of self-esteem, the gospel of saving the earth or political correctness. None of that is worth dying for. Honestly, neither is this building because that's not what it's about. It's not about where you're attending. It's about who you're following. Because what a solid church will teach us is that there is a gospel worth dying for. It's the message on a cross outside the walls of Jerusalem. The perfect man, fully God and fully man, poured out his blood so that he, what he did would be a full payment for what we deserve. He paid that price. And the resurrection proved it all true. That's worth dying for. That's a challenge for all of us. We just have to make sure that the message that we are proclaiming, the one we advance as individuals and a congregation as a whole, that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Paul then goes on to tell the Ephesian leaders that they would never see him again. Can you imagine that? You just walked 30 miles to this man who you love, who has poured into you. You look up to him. You lean on him for instruction and correction. And he says, this is the last time you'll see me. I can't think of an incredible pastor in my life who I think of as a Paul to me. He has taught me a lot, and he's also given me some harsh correction when I needed it. And I've gone long distances to hear him speak. And the sorrow in my heart if he was to say this. I can imagine that room was full of emotion. Some crying and taking what he said to heart. Some well-meaning leader saying, oh, Paul, the Lord is, if he's leading you there, he's going to protect you. We'll see you again. But he says, you will see my face no more. He had so much love for this group of people that he would not leave them without preparing them. They were part of his calling, part of the great plan that God has. You see, in the plan that God has for us, it's good for us, yes, but not just for us. It's good for the kingdom as a whole. It wasn't just about Paul's ministry. It was about the seeds he planted, the disciples he made, who were now making more disciples. That's the dream. And people say like, oh, live in the dream. No, the, the dream is you're a disciple and you're making more disciples. Who are making more disciples? Who are making more disciples? Like that, remember that Nuprin commercial? Little, yellow, different, and they tell two friends. Oh, no, it was MCI, and they tell two friends, and they tell two friends, and they tell two friends. Um, 
uh, <laughs> anyway, they're making more disciples. Um, he followed Jesus in every way he could. And since Jesus loved these elders so much, Paul did too. Let's think about that. Do you know why you should love this congregation and the body of Christ as a whole? And all the people around you? It's not because we're all so lovable, because some of us aren't lovable all the time. We do it because Jesus loves us all so deeply, both individually and collectively. Sometimes we have the attitude in church, and for sure a lot of people in the world have this thought about us. I love Jesus. He's a great guy. It's just his people I can't stand. And sometimes, family, we deserve that. Sometimes people who have that attitude just haven't had the transformational encounter with Jesus that we have. But those people that we can't stand, Jesus really loves them. So we need to really love them. 2 Peter 3.9 in the NLT says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want any to be destroyed, but for everyone to repent. He could have sent Jesus back at any time, but he knows us, and he knows how human we get. So he's waiting so that we can get our act together. <laughs> we can know him better, and we can love people like he does. Paul's a great example to us, but not because he's Paul. He's a great example to us because his life and ministry were so much like Jesus. And that's the point to be more like Christ. Like Jesus, Paul declared his readiness to lay down his life. He was determined to complete his ministry and not be deterred from it. And like Jesus, he was completely abandoned to the will of God. Paul was just following Jesus, and that's what God has for you too, just to follow God wherever he leads you. Lastly, Paul does the full leadership farewell, and I'm going to paraphrase it. So guard yourself and God's people. Feed the flock, his church. He purchased it with his own blood. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves are going to come among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some of you will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember earlier when I was talking about the documentaries and podcasts about pastors who have gone off course? Family, I am not here to bash on other pastors or churches. We are all one body, and I love the capital C Church, and God can shine in dark places and use things. But I would be remiss if I did not warn you to test everything you hear preached against the word of God. Even if a church is attended by thousands of people, and as Paul warned here, maybe especially, sometimes even pastors give in to the temptation of bending the word a little or a lotl to see more seats filled in their church, to get books published or have their face be seen in mainstream media or more tithe come in. I'm not knocking big churches. I've been part of a very healthy big church and a very not healthy under the skin big church. I'm just saying you need to lean on the word, lean on Jesus, not on a particular pastor and be mindful of whose voices you are letting speak into you. Just because someone's on TV or on a certain radio station or a website does not mean they're telling you the full truth of the gospel. And now I entrust to you and the message of his grace that it is able to build you up and give you inheritance and has set you apart 
Paul said he had been a constant example of Jesus. And when he finished speaking, he knelt and he prayed with them. And they cried and embraced him because they knew that they would never see him again. I can imagine being there and being upset and hearing those words from Paul, passing the proverbial torch. Now you guys get to give from what you have received from me and the word and how the spirit leads you. And you're not going to have me to refer to or ask questions to or look forward to the next time we're meeting. It's a great honor and a heaviness of really important news at the same time. In the Greek here, the word used for the feelings they had wasn't just sadness. It was bitter grief. So here's how I'm going to button this up. Because there's been enough information for about two or three sermons here. We are all preaching with our lives, with our actions, our prayers, our devotion life. What we do matters. It doesn't matter for our salvation, but for the example of a life of salvation for others. I don't remember who said it in our meeting this week. I think it was Darlene, but we were all kind of talking along the same lines. Leadership in church isn't a title. It's not a position. It's a responsibility that we all have. Just being who God created us to be and knowing his heart more, our lives then ripple out. And then we affect others in ways that we may never truly know until we get to heaven. So I invite you all to take the next couple of moments as we prepare for communion to ask God to show you if you are on the path that he has for you. Where are the places where you need to lean in a little deeper? Are there any voices you're listening to that you need to cut out? Where does he have for you to shine a little brighter? God, we thank you for your word, for your Holy Spirit and the gentle way you invite us to get to know you better. We're asking for you to speak to us in new ways to help us do new things for you, to give us the courage and the confidence to be your ambassadors, to be your church in the way it was in Acts, house to house, person to person, sharing your love and the gospel in the words you give us or the example of our lives. We repent for times that we have veered off this mission, the mission that you have for us, or the times we've shrunken back from things and people that you have called us to. Cleanse our hearts and our souls again and again so we can go forward carrying your gospel to the world around us. Amen.